It is so awesome to be here with you today. Again, my name is Pastor Todd Swisher, along with my wife Jan. We are the lead pastors here at Eastside City Church. And again, on this Thanksgiving weekend, we are so glad that you are here. And again, I just want to say happy Thanksgiving to you today. Just a little uh, uh, little more information on this class that is going to be happening on uh, October 22nd. If you're interested in being a part of that, we would ask that you would either sign up at our usher's desk if you prefer the old-fashioned signing your name, or you could send an email to Pastor Peter at peter at eastsidecitychurch.ca and let him know that you're interested in being a part of this great adventure that we're going to have in studying God's Word together. Now, how many of you today as we begin are thankful uh, that you survived the snowstorm that we had this week? Uh, That was quite something, wasn't it? In fact, it's the biggest snowstorm that I can remember this early in the season that I've ever experienced in my 24 years of living in Calgary. Uh, We had buses in the ditch uh, everywhere in the city. I feel really uh, bad for our transit workers and those that were in that department. It was very stressful for them, very challenging. In fact, things kind of snuck up on us so much that we actually had to borrow equipment from the city of Edmonton, which their mayor made a, uh, a video kind of mocking us, saying, hey, Calgary, how come you're not prepared for this? But, of course, we're up here to help you, just to add a little bit to the rivalry that we have. Uh, so I look forward to the next hockey game that we play, that we can return the favor to them. You know, today we are launching a new series called Growing in Love. It's on the book of First John. And we're going to spend... A few weeks. We're going to spend most of October, and I have to say this, that next Sunday we're actually going to have a guest speaker here. Um, Pastor Mark Honorat is going to be delivering the Word of God to us, and I'm excited about it. He actually shared that he has something that God's put on his heart specifically for our church, so I'm excited for you to be able to hear that. But we're going to be, over the next few weeks as well, going over the book of 1 John, and we're going to go chapter by chapter and verse by verse. And just so you know, I'm aware that we are not going to finish the whole book in the month of October, uh, which is okay because we will do part two at another time in the year, or maybe even part three if we have to do that. The idea is that we're going to expositorily look at this book of the Bible. Now, to begin with uh, this idea of uh, of thought, uh, who here knows that when you watch a good movie, um, you that, that it's really intriguing for a lot of us that there's times when you want to know more about the characters. You want to know more about the storyline around which that, that, that play or that, that movie was written. Maybe you'll find out that there was a book that the, the movie came from because most movies come from books that people have written. So you go and you try to find that book. You go on Amazon or you go, you go to uh, the bookstore and you find the book. And if you do, you, you just devour it. You read through it because you're just curious about what was surrounding that story. Um, when I was growing up, I, I, I watched a, a cartoon version of The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, the first story in the Chronicles of Narnia. It intrigued me. It intrigued me so much that I said, hey, uh, Mom and Dad, I, I know there's a book. There's actually a series. Would you get those books for me? And I remember one Christmas I got them, and I think I read all seven of them in less than a month. I was just like devoured it. I wanted to know more about what was going on. Well, we call those things the backstory, the, 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 the information that surrounds us. And so when you read the Bible, 
it's important to understand when we read this book that each of these scripture verses is contained in a book. Sometimes it's easy because we preach maybe on one verse that we're like, oh, that verse is good. But do you realize that it's surrounded by other verses and chapters and that there's a background into which that verse was written to people that it was written to, an author that actually wrote it. And so um, not only is each book of the Bible has a background, it's written by different authors and different people covering different topics from different periods in history. Therefore, when we read the Bible, it's important that we understand the background because that's how we develop this word called context or the story behind the story. So before, though, I jump into 1 John, I want to start off by saying this. When it comes to the Bible, this is our position as a church. First of all, we believe that all Scripture in the original language was inspired by God. That each and every word in the three original languages were Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. That the Bible was written in these languages and that in its, current, that in its original form, these were actually inspired by the word of God. It's not that, or, or inspired by God, that's not just some of the books or some of the chapters are relevant for today. We believe all of this book was inspired by God. And, um, and however, though, when the Bible was being written, which was written over thousands of years, that, that he, God used the different personalities and backgrounds and writing style of the people who wrote each book. They were not robots, but they were inspired by the Holy Spirit to write what was written. Can I hear an amen for that? Now, as we begin 1 John, it's important that we look at the background. So here's a little information about what we're going to be digging into. First of all, 1 John, I know this is going to be shocking. It's going to be surprising when I say this, that it was attributed to be written by John who was the apostle of Jesus Christ, even though, now here's what is unique about this book, he's not directly mentioned as the writer, which is not normal for most New Testament books especially. But there's enough information around that surrounds the book that it's easy for people to understand that John was actually the writer. First of all, he was mentioned by the early church fathers. They're those who came behind him, those that would have been uh, with his children and grandchildren that grew up, they actually had other historical writings and documents that, that noted that 1 John was written by John the Apostle. Secondly, the writing style of 1 John is similar to the writing style of the Gospel of John. And that can be confusing that there is, in the first five books of the New Testament, uh, there is the Gospel of John, but then there is also the books of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, which he wrote as well. Well, the writing style is the same. First of all, he was a, a fisherman. So the writing, the language is simple Greek. He was not a highly educated man, and so the things that he used were simple. He liked to use contrasting figures. And what do I mean by that? Well, he would talk about the uh, temporal and the eternal. He would talk about the flesh versus the spirit. Things like light and darkness, which we're going to talk a little bit about later. And both of the books use similar phrases and expressions. And we'll see this as we look at John, 1 John 1 and John 1. Some of the things I'm going to compare will show you very similar writing styles. Now, he also, here's what's important, was the use of an eyewitness to the testimony of the life and death of Jesus. That he actually was with 
Jesus. He was one of, in fact, his closest disciples. In fact, he was known as the beloved disciple. He was so close to Jesus that during meals, uh, he would lay his head on Jesus' chest. Who here thinks that's pretty close? You know, I, I wish I could do that with Jesus. That's, that would be awesome to be with him like that. So John has a very unique perspective of what he can share and what he can talk about. The book was also, when was it written? Well, it was written approximately between 85 AD and 95 AD, or 85 years after the death of Jesus to 95 years after the death of Jesus, which tells us that John was writing this at the end of his life. He was an older man, and so when we look at the book of John, we need to understand that what he's writing to us is a reflection on what he thinks is incredibly important in life. What he has gathered after living with Jesus and then the years after Jesus ascended and went into heaven, what John is saying, look, this is what I've observed about culture and life, and this is what I want you to know. And unlike most uh, New Testament books, it wasn't necessarily directed to a city or a church or a, a certain group of people that was written actually to believers everywhere. We know this because it was first circulated in the uh, Roman province of Asia, which would be modern-day Turkey, that, that he gave, he, this book began to be circulated in an area that was kind of a potpourri or a melding pot of many different people. So as we begin today, I want you to understand that this is written not only for the people of the first century, it's written for us here today. And so if you would turn with me, we're going to look at 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 to 4 to begin with. And I want to read this to you because this is kind of, John is making this introduction. And if you haven't found your place in the scripture yet, it's kind of near the end of the New Testament. It's getting closer to Revelations. And here's what he says in 1 John chapter 1, verse 1. And I'm reading out of the New Living Translation. It says, We proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning, whom we have heard and seen, We saw him with our own eyes and touched him with our own hands. He is the word of life. This one one who is life itself was revealed to us, and we have seen him. And now we testify and proclaim to you that he is the one who is eternal life. He was the father. He was with the father, and then he was revealed to us. We proclaim to you what We ourselves have actually seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that you may fully share our joy. You know, as I read this, I believe this is actually like John speaking directly to us. Like, here are some things that I want you to know. This is what I want you to understand right from the beginning, that Jesus that I spent this man uh, serving my whole life following, both before he died, after he died, after he was raised, after he went up to heaven, I want you to know that he's the real deal. He is, he is the son of God. And here's how he begins to describe it. He says, first of all, I want you to know that Jesus existed before the beginning of time. You see, he has no origin because he's always been God. You know, when we look at the Holy Trinity, we have God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit who is the witness. 
And what is sometimes hard for us to understand in our, our earthly minds and our, our finite minds is this whole idea that God has always been here. You see, we're used to a beginning of time. We were born. We, we, we know that, 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 that we have a beginning and an end to our life. I don't like to think about that, but the minute you're born, you're closer to dying. You know, we're eventually going to die. It's kind of a sad thought. But when we look at God, there was no beginning to him. He always has existed, and he always will exist. And so John is focusing on this. Look, I want you to understand this, that Jesus is God's son. Jesus is God. He's not like other gods. He's not like the other gods of our area that are made of gold and bronze or wood or stone that, that, that fell from the sky or, or people say that came here. That he's always been here. And he always will be here. And I think it's important for us to remember that we serve a living God who's alive, who's fully alive. And the second thing that John focuses on as he says, look, I want you to understand this, that not only was Jesus the son of God, but he lived among us. He came down and took on human form and lived among us. He was hungry, he was thirsty, he, he, he had to deal with things like we dealt with. And here's what I want you to know, that it says that he became the, the flesh and he lived among us. How do I know this? Because listen to this, we ate with him, we, we lived with him, we even touched him with our own hands. We have real evidence that he existed. When somebody looks to prove truth, what is it that you look for? You look for evidence. Now, I'm glad my wife is here. I, I, I say this, that uh, I've shared this before, that when it comes to television, that my wife has three basic shows that you're going to find her watching if the television is on. The first would be crime TV. She loves it. She likes to figure out, well, how did that happen and who murdered who and what's the evidence? The other one would be, it's going to be about sharks, you know, sharks eating people, uh, uh, sharks doing this. What, were, what are sharks really like? Uh, my wife is fascinated and afraid of sharks at the same time. And then, you know, then at, you know, this time of year, we're into the holidays, then the Hallmark Channel comes on or the Women's Network, and that's all those romantic, lovey-dovey, uh, silly girl movies that are, I think I've seen a few of those. But when we talk about crime television, one of the things that we understand is that they look for two things when they're solving a crime. First of all, they look at the physical evidence. Okay, what happened? Where was the body? Uh, what, where was the, the bullet casings? All of these things, they begin to look at and what really happened here? And then the second thing that they try to find are eyewitnesses, people that actually saw maybe what happened or saw the, the, the criminal flee the scene. And their goal is that the physical evidence and the testimony of the witness will line up to corroborate the, the story and that's where they know then they can find out what exact, exactly happened. Well, John is stating in verse 1, look at this, I can do both of these for you. Look, I was with Jesus. I, 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 I saw what he did. I, I saw him when he went around to different villages and taught and, and shared things. I also was with him when he did miracles. I can, I can tell you that he did that, but, I, but as well, I saw him when he died on the cross. Uh, I saw the empty tomb, and then I came back later on after he, when he was raised from there, I saw the empty tomb. He came and he talked to me. I met with him. 
And it was actually on the seashore when Jesus went to be with God, when he ascended into heaven, I saw all of these things. So not only can I talk about the physical evidence, I can talk to you about the fact that I witnessed these things so I can give a pretty accurate account of who Jesus is. But then he makes this statement as well. He says, Jesus is the word of life, or that he is the word of life. You know, when we look at our life, who here would say that it would be important to you that your life would back up your words? The, the things that you say about yourself, the things that you say you're going to, you're like, I want to be a person that is of, of my word, that my life backs out what I'm, what I'm talking about. But who here knows that unfortunately that many of us have uh, places in our life where we have broken promises. We fail to follow through with commitments. And many times because of our anger or our insecurity or our rage that we've say and done things that don't support our conviction of how we're supposed to live. That we say, you know what, look at, I, I'm a follower of Jesus. But then we have moments where we look like we're not a follower of Jesus. Do you catch what I'm saying here? That we might be following somebody else who, you know, lives a little bit lower in the spectrum. But here's what... Um, John says, he says, uh, Jesus wasn't just a person that said, follow me. I, I love this statement. Uh, when I was growing up, sometimes leaders would say to me, don't do as I say, do as I, or do as I say, not as I do. Have you ever heard that statement? Have you ever used that statement? Not a, not a wise thing to do. You see, people look at the way we live. Well, Jesus was a do as I do person. You see, he lived out what he taught and he preached. Jesus was actually the Bible in living color and action. And, and Jesus, and John points to us, look, he saw what Jesus taught. He saw what he did. But even more compelling to him was how Jesus lived. Jesus was the embodiment of what he taught. He was not only a good teacher, but he was the very essence of faith in God. He was the living, breathing word of God. And so when we look at this Bible, it says this in John chapter one. We go back to the gospel of John. John chapter one, verse, verses one through three. I wanna focus on verse one for a minute. It says, in the beginning, the word already existed. The word was with God and the word was God. You see what the Bible is saying? Look at, when you look at this, this is Jesus. This is who he is. Everything he did was about this word. When, the, when the, the Old Testament prophets talked about the Messiah that was gonna come, Jesus was the one who embodied that, who fulfilled it. And so when you read this word, you're actually taking in the life of Jesus. Or if I can say it this way, that the Bible is alive. It's like no other book that's ever been written. Why? Because as you read the Bible, it will change you. Why? Because Jesus will change you. The closer you draw to him, who is the word, you cannot help but become more like him. The more you know the Bible, the more you know him. The more you know him, the more you will know his word. And his word is eternal. This is not going to fade away. This actual book with pages, writing will fade away, but what is contained in it is eternal. He is the word of life. 
But because of this then, John then goes on to say, because Jesus is God, he always has been, because he lived among us, and he proved himself by his Beth death, burial, and resurrection, and we, have, and we were able to say that his, he's the word of life, the way that he lived backed up what he said it would. We now have relationship through Jesus. This is where John goes towards the end of, of this first portion of Scripture in verse 4. He here knows that some people just have a gift of drawing people together. They're just, they just like that. There are people that people like to be around. They're, they're awesome. I say this if you're a coach, you're a business owner, you're a leader, you're a teacher, you're even a pastor. You like to have those people around, especially if they're heading in the same direction that you're heading. They're very helpful. And, and, and here's what I believe, that, that, that when we talk about the Bible that we are connected together through family relationships, that we come together through our families. When it comes to church, we are connected through one thing and one thing only. What is the common theme that connects us together? Jesus. You see, it doesn't matter how old you are when it comes to Jesus. It doesn't matter whether you're a man, a woman, or a child. It doesn't matter whether you have lots of money or you're poor. It doesn't matter whether you're highly educated or maybe you struggle with spelling and reading and those things. It doesn't matter where you were born. It doesn't matter what nation you come from. It only matters that we are connected through a relationship with Jesus Christ. And the word that is used here is the word fellowship. That connection is made through fellowship. Well, the Greek word for fellowship is the word koinonia. And what is real koinonia? Well, koinonia is, is it's about relationship. It's deep communion that is shared by all. You see, God's desire for us is we would be deeply connected to one another. But it also means this, that, that it also means contribution, it means contributing in deeper relationships to spiritual blessing and even material needs. You see, our relationship with Jesus should motivate us to grow together and to contribute together. It flows very nicely. I love this with the last series that I just finished last week called Lean on Me, where we talked about this whole idea that we need each other, that I need you and you need me, that in order to grow, we need to be people that, that can be counted upon, that we can... Other people can count on us to, to be there, to be a part of it. That's what this word koinonia talks about. That we are generous to each other with our time, with our encouragement, with our love, with our service, and even with our possessions. It's what joins us together. And so when Paul, or not Paul, when John was writing this letter, so easy to say Paul because he wrote so many things. We're talking about John here today. When John wrote this letter, he was writing to a people that were very unique. They, had, they came from all over the, the whole region. They were slaves, some of them. Others were leaders. But yet what joined them together was a relationship with Jesus. And the Bible says because of this, their joy was made full or complete. There was great joy. I, I want to say this today, that we need to understand this, that joy is deeper than happiness. You see, when happiness is about your feelings, you know, good things happen to you, you're happy. You get a promotion at work, it makes you happy. You, you, you're, 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 
kids clean their rooms, you're incredibly happy. Um, you know, you, 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 the turkey comes out just perfect. You're happy. But we, who here knows that those feelings can change when things turn against us? Well, joy is much deeper than happiness. In fact, joy gives us strength in difficult times because Nehemiah 8 verse 10 says, the joy of the Lord is our strength. You see, relationship or fellowship with other Jesus followers gives us strength in difficult times. Joy, it's, you see, the joy is not dependent upon our situations. It's dependent upon the fact that we are connected together through Jesus and we can take great comfort and courage in that. Can I hear an amen? amen. So here's the question. What is it that breaks fellowship? What is it that can rob us of our joy? Well, John goes on to write in the second part of this chapter in verses 5 to 10. He says, look at this. This is the message we heard from Jesus. And now declare to you, God is light. And there is no darkness in him at all. So we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God, but go on living in spiritual darkness. We are not practicing the truth. But if we were living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we claim we have no sin, we're only fooling, our, fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all wickedness. If we claim we have not sinned, we are we are calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our hearts. Wow. You see, I talk about this earlier, that John loved to compare opposites. The physical versus the spiritual. Mortal versus the immortal. And here, here we have light versus darkness. And so his first statement is this. Listen, I want to tell you this. God is light and there's no darkness inside of him. Well, what does that mean? Well, in Genesis chapter 1, we read when it says here that God said, let there be what? Light. Now, we have to understand this, that the initial light was not the sun, the moon, and the stars. Those were created days later in creation. That the original light was that God himself was the light over the universe, that light emanates from him. Why? Because that is what he is. He is the full embodiment of light. Now in Revelations, at the end of the Bible, we hear this, the Bible talks about that it, at the end of time, God's going to create a new heaven and a new earth. And one of the things that's interesting that it says there is that there will be no need for night and day. Why? Because the God himself will provide the light from his throne. You see, light emanates out of his being. And we would call this holiness, that God's holiness just, it, it extends to every part of where his presence is. But then that darkness then refers to sin or unholiness and that in him there is no sin or unholiness. We have to understand that. Sin is destroyed when it encounters God's presence. That's why we need the blood of Jesus. We talked about this today. We talked about communion, that we need the blood of Jesus to cover us. Why? Because if we were to approach God in our sin, we would just be disintegrated. 
Because sin and God can't exist. Light and darkness can never be together. It, it, it just doesn't work. You turn on the light, there is no longer darkness. Am I making sense? So holiness also means that God is perfect. His ways are perfect, and the way that he responds to situations, to people, to circumstances, is perfect or the right way. Now, since God's presence is light, to be out of his presence is to live in darkness or to live in sin. And and, and here's where I'm going to wrap things up here today. That he goes on to say what really John is trying to communicate to us is you cannot love both God and the world at the same time. You cannot be in the light and also have darkness. They don't work. It's like oil and water. They don't mix together. And he says you cannot maintain fellowship with God and have a love for the world or continue fulfilling your worldly desires. It's impossible to have fellowship with God and maintain your love for the world. Well, what are some of the ways that we can show that maybe we're still struggling with some love for the world? We desire popularity. I want people to like me. I'm not just talking about, hey, I I want people to like me too. But where you're like, I want to be bigger than life. I want everybody to know about me. When I, when my, on my Facebook page, I want a million likes a day. That's what I'm at. I want to be the most popular. You know, I, I want to be more popular than Kim Kardashian. I want to be more popular than, than whoever else you think is cool, Kanye West, whatever it is. You can go into things. How about a love for money? Where you love money, you just are like money, money, money. I got, I need the green. It's what makes me go. I, it's my whole life is about money. Now we need money. I don't having money isn't bad. I want to hear you. I want you to understand that. I'm believing God to give me more money, but I don't love money. My life isn't wrapped around that. I need money. Do you hear the difference? How about a hunger for power? I want to be in control. I want to control things. Continued immoral relationships. You know, you just struggle with sensual issues in your life, immorality, adultery, fornication, pornography. That you just there's darkness. It's darkness that where our flesh is in control of our of our spirit. We're 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 not winning that battle. Or a spirit of independence that I can just do what I want when I want, whenever I want. Nobody can tell me what to do. That's dark. That's dark stuff. You see, if you're trying to put one foot in the world and one foot in the church or one foot in the things of God, the Bible calls this in James chapter 1-8 being double-minded. It says that a double-minded person is unstable in all of their ways. And I see people, I see people that are like, you know what, I I really want God in my life, but I don't want to let go of some things because I like them because they kind of make me happy, or you think that they make you happy. Really, you don't realize how much bondage that they're bringing into your life. And, and the sad part is, is that when we, we try to put one foot in the world and one foot into the, the church, it just creates all sorts of bad stuff in our life. Frustration. Man, what a miserable way to serve God. <laughs> Brings depression in people's lives the only reason people get depressed but it's one of the reasons people because it's just it weighs on you it grinds on you it's not how you were created to live 
And I say this, that one of the biggest, if I was to say, in my opinion, the biggest problem that people have the church would be what? What do you think it would be? Well, it's not, you know, all the leaders aren't this and that. That comes up. That's sometimes what people struggle with or they talk too much about money. The biggest issue that most people have with the church, it's what Gandhi, Gandhi said. He goes, I would be a Christian if it wasn't for Christians. Because we're hypocritical. We, we, we say, you know what, oh man, I love Jesus and he's so awesome. And then in the next breath, we're like that stinking rotten, blah, 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 blah. Bleeping, bleeping, blopping, bloping. You know, we, we, we come in, oh God, I love you and we're worshiping him on Sunday, but Friday night we're living like the devil. And then you go to somebody, hey, you should come to church with me. And they're like, why? What's the point of that? I'm just going to feel guilty because I know it hasn't changed your life. I love God, yet live like a bat out of hell. That's, I mean, it's, you see, this is not practicing truth. That's what, that's what John says. He goes, you're not living in truth. You're not practicing truth. There's deception in your life. And so then we can become lost in the darkness. It's kind of like trying to find a, a light switch at night when the room is completely black. I don't know if you've ever experienced this, experienced this. I'm sure that you have because most of us, where you sleep so deeply and you wake up and you don't know where you're at, you're like, oh. And then you're like, where's the light switch? And you run over, the, the, run over into your dresser and you stub your toe. And then as you walk over here, your kid left their toy car on the ground and you step on it and you can't see it and you're, you're searching for the light switch because there's darkness. You become disoriented without light. And I believe this, people become disoriented without Jesus in their lives. When we're disoriented, we can focus on and pursue the wrong things. we got to watch out for this. I'm going to invite Margo to come up here. So what happens when you turn on the light? When you run to the light, when you go to the light, darkness has to flee. Now, Pastor Peter and I were in the Philippines a few years ago, and we happened to stay in a uh, an accommodation and hasn't been like this every time but the place was infested with cockroaches I, I don't know if you've ever been around like real cockroaches they're kind of amazing it's dark you turn the light on, and all you see is kind of just a glimpse of this scurry and you're like oh something was there turn the light off light on they flee now, uh, that wasn't the most pleasant thing in the world that we experienced. But, you, but when you turn the light on, the darkness has to flee. The cockroaches are like darkness. They, they can't stand the light. They can't handle the light. They don't want to be in the light. You see, our sin and our, uh, the things that we, they, they don't like, it doesn't like light. But today, God is speaking to us. You can't have it both ways. You can't love both God and love the world. It's impossible. You've got to choose one or the other. As we close today, 
there's a few things I want to pray about. First of all, I want us to look at our own lives and, and, and pray for maybe today you're struggling. You realize there's some double-minded living in your life. Areas that you know that you're kind of hanging on to. God's speaking to you about this. And today you're like, you know what? I, I, I don't want to be double-minded. I want to be in the light just like Jesus is in the light. Or Jesus is the light. I want to run to the light today. I want God to help me. Because when you do this, this is the, here, here's what this is all about. It's what allows us to have greater freedom and liberty and the ability to, to be and live the way God called us to live. <laughs>